0: Hi, I'm Susan Swain, host of C-SPAN's Q&A, where we spend an hour with nonfiction writers and historians who add context to today's news. Darlene Superville is White House reporter for the Associated Press. In that role, she has covered four First Ladies. She's recently co-written Jill about the life and career of First Lady Jill Biden. Dr. Biden has made history as the first presidential spouse to continue working outside the White House. Ms. Superville discusses Jill Biden's involvement in Joe Biden's political career, her role as a teacher and the causes, including working with military families that she took up in the Obama administration and continues as first lady.
1: Were you prepared for what it's like to be the first lady? I think what you know, I was uh, I think it's a little harder than I imagined. It's not like a job that you do. It's
0: a lifestyle that you live. It's 24 hours a day. Darlene Superville, biography of Jill Biden. I was trying to think of of how many First Ladies have come into the role with as many years of experience to Washington politics as Jill Biden. Were you surprised that that she has described it as harder than she expected? A little bit surprised. Um, but she's right when she talks about it being 24-7, just like the president is the president at all times. The first lady is the first lady at all times, too. And in Jill Biden's case, she's also teaching. She's still teaching two days a week uh, at Northern Virginia Community College. So she's got that on top of her first lady responsibilities, and it's, it's a lot, probably a lot to juggle. Of course, she's made history with her continuing to teach as she's in the role of First Lady. Um, And you described in the book that it presented still a lot of challenges for the White House team trying to avoid the emoluments clause of the Constitution. So uh, can you explain uh, what kind of compromise they had to come to with her salary so that it would pass muster? Because she's teaching at a state school, there is a clause where she's not supposed to be paid with state money. And... Our understanding is the compromise that Northern Virginia Community College made is that she's paid from a separate pot of money so that the funds aren't directly coming from the state. So just in reading the description of that uh, because you you and your co-author Julie Pace write about this as a role that is in need of reinvention in our society but if it's this challenging for teaching which is a somewhat benign profession uh, overall in terms of conflicts you wonder, anybody with a different kind of job, how challenging it really would be to continue to hold it while in the role of first spouse. That's right. It would, uh, depending on what kind of job the next first lady has, there may be all sorts of potential conflicts of interest that would have to be, the White House would have to navigate and figure out um, whether that person can continue to work or not, or restructure the role or the job so that they can continue to work. How does Dr. Biden manage the teaching? How does she structure her week so that she can teach and and also do her duties? Yeah, so she works, she teaches two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, and most of her First Lady functions are scheduled around the teaching. So Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, weekends, you'll see her traveling and out and about doing events. In the beginning of the administration, of course, it was lockdown and and viral classes, but schools back in session. So how does it work with the students and the and the Secret Service? The Secret Service agents who are with her. um, And this goes back to when she was married to Joe Biden, when he was vice president. uh, She asked them to dress casually. Uh, like students, carry backpacks. There is a small security, uh, secret service security detail that is with her at all times. And they're with her when she's at school. Some of them are in her classroom. Uh, The students have to go through the regular standard checks that we all would go through if we are going to a function that involves the president or the first lady. Your bags would be checked or sent through a x-ray machine and you would walk through a magnetometer. Mm You also wrote a story this week that Dr. Biden will be traveling over Mother's Day weekend, which is this weekend, Mm -hmm. five days. uh, And a part of that trip will be meeting with Ukrainian moms and children who are refugees from the war. Uh, How has she overall approached the kinds of issues she gets involved in and the assignments that she's taken on for the administration? She approaches a lot of those things from her role and her experience as a mother and uh, grandmother and one of the things that she's going to do when she is in ukraine she spoke about this a little bit earlier this week when she was in new york uh, attend uh, previewing an exhibit at the met uh, for the met gala um, and she just talked about a lot of the sympathizing with a lot of the women and children who have had to leave ukraine because of the war uh, and talking about how she understands what they might be going through because she's also a mother like many of those women are you have been covering uh, politics for quite a while. This is the fourth administration, fourth first lady that you've mm-hmm. covered. Uh, why did you think it was important to do a biography of Jill Biden a year and a half into their term? We thought it was important to try to help uh, the public understand who is who the woman is who is first lady. And although Jill Biden has been on the political scene for quite a long time, basically through marriage to Joe Biden, who's been in politics for about half a century now. People know a little bit less about her. She lived in Delaware most of his time in politics um, when he was vice president and she was second lady. She was second lady to Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama, naturally, as first lady, got a lot of the attention during those years. And now Jill Biden is kind of coming into her own as First Lady, and we thought it was important to kind of um, tell her story and help people understand who she is and where she came from. You uh, tell your readers that you and Julie Pace were granted three interviews. Uh, How long did it take you to get them to yes for that? (laughs) (laughs) It took a little bit of negotiating because she has a very busy schedule, as we just talked about with her teaching and all of her other First Lady functions. And uh, Julie and my, my schedule and Julie's schedules are also pretty hectic at times. But we did sit down with her for three, one-hour interviews and um those happened in september last september give me some atmospherics were they at the white house did you have any uh, ground rules that she insisted on beforehand yeah they were all at the white house um upstairs in the east wing in her office and um she laid out tea and coffee and cookies for us on one of the first meetings and uh no ground rules she answered she was very forthcoming answered all of our questions Um, and also didn't say that there was anything that was off-limits. How did you use your time? What are the kinds of things you wanted to get from her versus all the other sources that you used? One of the things we wanted to do, and we did with the book, was question her a lot about her childhood and growing up in New Jersey where she was born and also just outside of Philadelphia where she spent most of her uh, formative years. And then we also talked to her a lot about her experiences on... Uh, Joe Biden's Senate campaigns and the three presidential campaigns that he's run. So, some of the descriptions that you've, I mean, we see her only on camera. So, um, to learn a little bit more about what you saw in that situation is just interesting for people. Described her as open but guarded. What's that mean? She is, like most first ladies, very private and guarded to a certain extent. Um, <clears throat> but she was also very funny. Um, and she kind of uh, showed a little bit of an irreverent side kind of joking around a little bit with us at times um So related to that, a couple times in the book you describe her and even give examples of her as a prankster. So that may be a surprise for people. uh, What is an example of a prank that she might pull? Yeah, that was a surprise for me, too. I didn't realize that she uh, liked to play practical jokes on people to the extent that she does. Um, One example was last year. She took a trip. Uh, I don't remember where exactly she went, but on the flight home back to Washington, D.C. She apparently left her seat disappeared for a while. And then out came a woman dressed like a flight attendant with a wig, dark haired wig. And she walked through the cabin handing out Dove ice cream bars. And when she was finished, she revealed herself to be Jill Biden. And nobody, apparently no one on the plane recognized that it was her. I'm not sure how the staff didn't realize that she'd been missing from her seat for the amount of time that it took her to walk up and down the aisle and distribute these dove bars. But that's one example of um, just the kind of practical joke she likes to play. I think that trip was also on April Fool's Day. Readers will also find out that she is and has been for a while a long-distance runner. How did she get started in that, and is she still able to run as First Lady? Yeah, she got started in that because uh, she talked to us a little bit about, and she wrote about this in her own memoir, too, about just clashing with her daughter Ashley during Ashley's teenage years and she used to keep running shoes by the door and she would just put them on and go for a run to clear her head whenever the two of them clashed Um, she is a long-distance runner but she doesn't do it anymore is what she told us because of her um, affinity for high-heeled shoes and wearing high-heeled shoes a lot kind of messes up your your feet So her biography, uh, since she spent time with it. So she was born where? And uh, she's 70 years old now? She's 70 years old. She'll be 71 next month. So she was born where? She was born in Hamilton, New Jersey, which is in southern New Jersey, um, somewhere between Atlantic City and the Pennsylvania, Philadelphia area. Family name is Jacobs. I was surprised to find out in some of the research that I did, that she was actually our first Italian-American first lady, that her family name was changed. Yes, the family's name was Jacopa when they came over from Ellis Island, but then, of course, it was changed and Americanized to Jacobs. In the 1950s, what was the Jacobs family life like for young Jill? She described it as idyllic. Um, She came from a family that didn't have a lot of money, but they had a lot of love, was what she uh, told us and she grew up with four sisters uh, her father was in the Navy at one point uh, then he became uh, an executive at a bank and worked his way up through the bank her mom was a stay-at-home mom um, she just talked about care- carefree lifestyle going out to play not coming home until it was dark um, smelling the coffee that her gran- her Italian grandparents would make um, eating lots of bread making pasta with her grandmother. Those kinds of memories are some of what she, what she shared with us. Does she still have childhood friends? That's an interesting question. I don't know. So uh, were politics part of the Jacobs family? Were they very political when she was growing up? They were, at all? they were not political at all. Uh, she told us they uh, didn't really talk about politics around the dinner table. Uh, it's not something she grew up with. And uh, even when she fir- met, first met Joe Biden, um, she wasn't interested in politics. She told us she had no idea what a senator did when she went out on that infamous first date with him. You wrote that she, she her, was confirmed as a Presbyterian at age 16. Is she, she's a That's Catholic right. today. Is that right? It's not clear. Um. Because she doesn't go to church with him a lot when he goes, but Senator Biden goes to church goes pretty every regularly. Sunday, he goes every Sunday. Yeah, yeah, in the telling in your book, you, you it suggested that unlike her family, she was she was drawn to religion, and she, she, and went and confirmed at age sixteen. She was drawn to religion at one point and followed her um, her parents into the church. Um, and she also talks later in life about falling away from religion after her son uh, Bo passed away from cancer and she's only recently been able to um, restore her faith in God. She had a first marriage at age 18. What can you tell me about that? Yes, uh, I was surprised to learn that she was married at 18. Uh, she was um, in high school and met a young um, college athlete named Bill Stevenson They started dating, fell in love. He was a few years older than she was, and they got married when she was 18. She thought it would be romantic for them to go to classes together at the University of Delaware, which is where she ended up transferring to. Um, And they set up an apartment and started to build their life together. Why did that marriage fail? That's also unclear why the marriage failed. Um, She did not talk about that very much in our interviews. And when we reached out to Bill Stevens and and got him on the telephone, he also declined to go into detail. How did she meet Joe Biden? She met Joe Biden because um, he was already a senator. He was already in the United States Senate. He was coming home to Wilmington on a weekend and was walking through the airport, looked up and saw a billboard. And on that billboard was Joe Biden. Joe was with one of his brothers and turned to his brother and said, pointed to Jill and said she was the kind of woman he wanted to date. At that point, he was single. He was a widow, widower. Um, and the brother fixed him up. The brother knew Jill and set them up on a date. And that's how they ended up going out for that dinner and a movie. She was 24 at the time. She, she was married. in her early 20s. Yeah, so uh, I'm wondering, you do write that it, it, he was a very determined suitor, uh, so it took him five proposals yes. before she finally said yes. What can you add to that story? Why, why was he so determined, and why <laughs> really was, uh, was she hesitant? Well, he was determined because he had fallen in love again, um, and he just knew that he wanted to marry Jill. He also had two young sons, Beau and Hunter, and they also had fallen in love with Jill after losing their mother in a car accident. Jill, on the other hand, was a little bit hesitant for a couple of reasons. One was the, the end of her first marriage. She always thought that she'd have a marriage like her parents, and when her first marriage ended, it was a pretty devastating blow for her, and she wanted to be very careful um, before doing it again, before saying, I do, for the second time. And there was also the consideration of Bowen Hunter. She wanted to make sure that when she said yes to another marriage, that that would also work because she didn't want Bowen Hunter to lose another mother again. This was uh, something else that caught my attention in your book. Early on, Joe's brother took Jill to dinner and said Joe is going to be president one day, and she needed to be okay with that. Yes, um, that's the story, and. Um, And she's okay with it. (laughs) But it suggests that she, you said she didn't know what a senator did, but Mm -hmm. she had to understand what she was getting herself into with someone who was a sitting senator with presidential aspirations, or not, at age 24? Well, yes, she did understand that there was a public side to Biden's life, to Joe Biden's life as a senator. Um, And that was also, I think, a consideration in her... um, reluctance to say, I do, until he finally gave her that fifth ultimatum. Um, but when she said she didn't know what a senator did, most people have some sort of idea of what what, in, what the job of being president of the United States entails. So it's, it's a, the, the two of them are a little bit different in some regards. Yeah, there's, a, there's an interesting factoid as well that she was a registered Republican when that, they met. That's right. She was registered as a Republican when they met and uh, was still a registered Republican when they married. And so was she able to vote for him? She ended up changing her registration and, and voted for him. You uh, highlight the promise when she said yes mm-hmm. that jo- Joe Biden made to Jill, both in the beginning of the book and at the end. What was that promise? He promised her that her life wouldn't change, which is basically the promise most politicians make to their wives when they, when they get married. How do you think that uh, Joe Biden's decision to, to remain at home in Wilmington and essentially commute to the Capitol o- almost on a daily basis mm-hmm. on the Amtrak train impacted family life and her ability also to continue her own professional life? Oh, I think it had a great impact because she was able to, um, to just maintain the identity and the life that she had already built in Delaware. Um, she was teaching, she was a new mother to Bowen Hunter, A few years after they got married, uh, their daughter Ashley was born. Um, So all those things were very important to her, not to move away to Washington, the the way some other Senate families um, did. So into the high-profile political life, about 10 years after they got married, they got married in 77, Mm -hmm. first campaign 87. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before we talk about that, uh, I'm wondering if you could explain the various roles that the Biden family, if politics is the (laughs) Biden family occupation. There's Val, his sister, who has Mm -hmm. a new book out herself right now, the candidate himself, Jill, uh, two sons. Um, and daughter Ashley. So how did they over time get involved in political decisions, the direction of his career? How do they operate as a team? Yeah, They operate as a family. Uh, A lot of times they will call family meetings to discuss different issues. Um, There were family meetings called during the various presidential campaigns that he waged. Uh, You mentioned his sister Valerie. She's run every one of his Senate campaigns and has been, was involved in the presidential campaigns that he ran. Um, his mother, when she was alive, um, he turned to his mom for advice. Um, Bo was seen as a up and coming kind of political advisor, not only heir apparent to Senator Biden, but also one of his top advisors. And Jill is also seen as someone he leans on for counsel and guidance and Whenever he has big decisions to make. When uh, Bo was still alive, were Bo and Hunter both advisors to the president or did he tend to lean on one more than the other? I think he tended to lean more on uh, Bo because Bo was headed down the political track. He was at one point the attorney general of Delaware. He had served in the Delaware National Guard. Hunter kind of went off on a different track and went into uh, more of the business realm. So that first presidential campaign in 1987, uh, we have a clip from July of 87 uh, with Jill Biden talking about what a first lady should do. Let's watch.
1: I'd like to talk to you today about the role of the first lady. It's a role which I think is very personal and depends on the views of the individual women. There is no one specific right role. But there is one objective, and that is to make Americans feel proud of their First Lady and to feel that in some way she is a reflection of their lives and their values.
0: In the book, you uh, write, even after 10 years as a Senate spouse, the race for the presidency had a level of scrutiny Jill Biden had to learn. Tell me more. Yeah, well, First Ladies are always... um, they're a subject of huge fascination in the United States. And uh, in a presidential campaign, there's a lot of attention on the candidate, but also on the woman who could become first lady. And knowing how much she valued her privacy, um, she had to adjust to the new level of scrutiny that was coming with, those, uh, with that campaign. Uh, in the book, we also learn that his campaign staff viewed her as a problem to be solved, Uh, Do you find that often in politics with campaign staffs or the East Wing versus the West Wing? Yes, there often is tension between campaign staffs. Um, uh, We saw this in the Obama campaign back in 08 uh, with Michelle Obama and tension there over things that she did or didn't do. And um, so that's not unusual to find in a presidential campaign. Joe Biden's first uh, primary effort faltered on self-inflicted wounds, the plagiarism famously that... Um, What was her role in his decision to pull out of the race? She uh, was there to support his decision to pull out of the race. Um, They had discussions. There may have also been another one of those family meetings that we talked about earlier. Um, And he decided that it was uh, pulling out of the race was the right decision to make, and she was there supporting that that decision. This left her with uh, a view of, politics that was difficult for her to get beyond. But what happened to her thinking about uh, national electoral politics as a result? Yeah, she felt a little, um, what's the word, burned maybe by the whole experience. Um, they had gone into the 1987 campaign. She had gone into the 1987 campaign really believing that he was going to be elected president. Um, and, of course, when it didn't happen, it was a huge, huge disappointment, Um the allegations of plagiarism, the way he was treated by the media, she also didn't like uh, that his integrity was being questioned from her vantage point, point. Um, and so she was soured on that whole part of part of the um, part of the process. Around the time he made the decision to pull out, he was chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and the Bork confirmation hearings were happening. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, what was the the thinking between the two of them about uh, his responsibilities in the senate versus the campaign right so in deciding to pull out of the campaign they reached the calculation that obviously there would always be another presidential campaign and he could run again if he wanted to but there would not be another opportunity to keep someone like judge bork off of the supreme court and so they saw the Supreme Court hearing the Bork nomination as um, the fight, if you will, that they needed to wage at that time. The next family crisis came very shortly thereafter, 1988, and that was a brain aneurysm. Will you tell me that story? Yeah. So during the 1987 presidential campaign, Joe Biden had been having lots of headaches, serious headaches. he would tell Jill about them. She'd kind of encourage him to see a doctor, like most wives do with their husbands. Um, and like most husbands, he kind of ignored the advice, never went to the doctor. Um, it was after he pulled out of the race and after the, um, the Bork hearings that he uh, was diagnosed with a severe brain aneurysm, had to be taken to the hospital, um, and had surgery. And it was a life or death, a life or death moment for him and for her. There's a memorable story in your book about her coming to the hospital and finding uh, a priest in the room giving Joe Biden last rites. Tell me that story. Yeah, so he was in the hospital. She had gone home to um, settle the kids, came back to the hospital that evening. There was a nurse sitting at a desk outside of his room who uh, stopped her from, stopped Jill from going into the room. She asked why. She said her husband was in there. She needed to go in. And the nurse told her, well, they're giving him last rites. And Jill just barges into the room and yells at the priest to get out, get out. She started screaming at him and the priest left. (laughs) What's your takeaway from that story? My takeaway is that she didn't want Joe to think that he was dying. And obviously last rites are administered when the situation looks hopeless. Um, And she also did not want to believe that he was dying. Um, And that was that was my takeaway and why I think she reacted that way. Another thing I remember from reading that part of your book was that it was one when she really felt like a Biden because she had taken over the decision making for his care. That's right. Her the, the Biden family was in the hospital room with Joe at one point and they were all. The brothers, his sister, their mother were all talking about his treatment, and she was sitting there and all of a sudden it seemed as if maybe a light bulb went off. She just had this moment of realization that she was his wife and she's the one that needs to be making these decisions. And so she gets up and tells the family, you know, that's my husband. I'm supposed to be making these decisions. And she wrote that that was the moment when she really began to feel like a member of the family. It took, I think, about eight months, according to reporting, for him to recover and return to work in the Senate. Mm-hmm. So we go into the era of the, ni- the 90s, mm-hmm. Bill Clinton's president. What was the Biden family political life like during the 1990s? During the 1990s, there were still a lot of people always wanting to encourage Joe to run for president. The, the dream of being president hadn't died. It was still there with the family. Um, he was also very much involved in the Senate, raising his profile, Senate Judiciary Committee, Senate Foreign Relations Committee, um, those kinds of thing, things. Jill was sort of settling more into her routine in Delaware, being a mother, teaching again, that kind of thing. She wasn't really um, looking ahead for another campaign just yet. She received her Ph.D. during that period of time, too, as I recall. Do you remember uh, what her focus is for her Ph.D.? It's educational leadership. So the next presidential run was contemplated in 2003, and this is a story she has told a few times. (laughs) Uh, I'll call it the bathing suit story. The bathing suit story, yes. What is it? So they're at home in Wilmington, Delaware, again, Sitting around with lots of advisors who are uh, encouraging Joe to run and talking about um, plans and strategies and poll numbers and all the kinds of things that advisors talk to you about when they're trying to encourage you for president, to run for president. And she was sitting outside by the pool um, in her bikini and kind of listening to this discussion. She was not very much into the idea of him running in 2004. And so the way that she uh, registered her displeasure with the the group of aides who were there was she found a sharpie or a magic marker and wrote no on her belly and walked through the meeting uh, so they could all see that she was against him running for president at that time. And what happened to the discussions? I think they were tabled because he didn't run. So it was just two years later, however, in 2005 when she and his two sons, their two sons were all in. What happened? 2005. In 2005, we were in the middle of the um, the Bush administration and the war in Iraq, and she was uh, very much opposed to the war, as was a lot of a lot of uh, a large segment of the public. And um, given Joe's experience in foreign policy, his service on the Foreign Relations Committee in the Senate, uh, she was among those who thought that now would be the time for him to run and to try to put an end to the war. The war also became personal for the Bidens because of Beau's service. Uh, what did he do in the military? Yeah, He served in the Delaware Army National Guard. He was a major. And at one point he was deployed to Iraq and spent about a year overseas. And how did that impact their relationship with the military? I think it gave certainly Jill... A deeper appreciation for military families and um, the sacrifices that they make. Her father was in the Navy during World War II, and he was a signalman, so she'd already grown up um, with some exposure to the military. And Beau's um, service in the Delaware Army National Guard just... uh, I think, deepen that appreciation for the military. I have another clip, this time Jill Biden from 2008 in Cedar Falls, Iowa, before the Iowa caucuses. Let's watch this.
1: Bo, Hunt, Ashley, and I got together as a family without Joe, and we decided that we wanted to ask Joe to run for president because we thought that he was the only one who could unite the red states and the blue states, the Republicans and the independents and the Democrats, because he had done it so many
0: times before. You uh, write in the book that Jill's confidence in campaigning was transformational in 2008. What happened? She uh, eventually, like most uh, political spouses do, eventually just, you get used to it. And she had to start going out at one point and give speeches for Joe when he when he couldn't go out on the campaign trail, um, and she just got better and better um, at it over time. You report even that she hired a coach and would practice, so she was really taking this diligently. At that she point. has talked about uh, practicing her speeches because she, like a teacher, wanted to get better at delivering. Uh, At at public speaking, which is not something that she had done before. She uh, describes getting up in front of a classroom and talking to a classroom of students as being much different than talking to hundreds or even thousands of people at a campaign event. The uh, 2008 campaign was short lived. I was not very kind to the Biden campaign. Mm -hmm. She took the first loss in 87 very, very hard. How about this one? This one was also um, hard, but probably not as hard as the first one. Um, the 2008 campaign had a couple of huge personalities in it. Hillary Clinton was running at the time. Also, Senator Barack Obama was also running at the time. And, um, you know, Joe, as you mentioned, I think only got 1% of of the vote. Um, but it was... I think she was more realistic about uh, the prospects of him advancing this time, uh, just being up against Hillary and Barack Obama. So uh, after this loss uh, is the time when uh, you report that she got much more deeply involved with military families, including a group called Delaware Boots on the Ground. Uh, What uh, kind of active role did she take with military families? So Delaware Boots on the Ground was... um, or is a, a, an organization that helps uh, military families in Delaware. Uh, she, she didn't just lend her name to that organization. She actually contributed uh, with fundraising and um, just uh, volunteering at events and that kind of thing. She was very hands-on, hands-on involved with Delaware Boots on the Ground. If you talk to military families, what do they have to say about her participation and what kind of results it's produced? They love the fact that she is um, as involved as she is with military families. And it resonates with a lot of military families because they feel as though the Bidens know what they're talking about because their own son was in the military versus some lawmakers or politicians who don't have that same firsthand experience. Here was another surprise. Uh, uh, When the call came from Senator Obama for Joe Biden to be his running mate, Joe Biden declined. Yeah, he um, he kind of waffled a little bit. He wasn't, um, he had issues with the prospect of being someone's number two. He was in the Senate, he was in charge of a committee, he made decisions, he ran the committee, he liked the autonomy and power that he had. And so um, he had to really think about whether to do that or not. Do you remember what her admonition was to him about this? She told him to grow up. <laughs> So uh, once uh, one was a a vice-presidential nominee, life changed immediately, right in the book. Every move became managed often by people they never met. So you've watched a lot of this up close. What is it like and what is the adjustment like for people that are in the midst of this? Yeah, so all of a sudden he becomes vice-president, she becomes what we now call second lady. Uh, She immediately gets a staff. She never really had a staff before. she's doing events and uh... is kind of living life more in the fishbowl uh... so it's it's an adjustment for someone like that who um, is guarded and and cherishes their privacy for people who watch political figures on stage and wonder what's really going on what can you tell us about her relationship with michelle obama they have a, a sort of a genuine friendship is how i would describe it um, and it started during the '08 campaign when they uh, met for the first time, I believe it was at the announcement, uh, Obama's campaign announcement, uh, when he brought the Bidens onto the ticket. Um, and they worked closely together in the White House. They both worked on an initiative called Joining Forces, which was, again, to support military families and veterans and, and caregivers. So once they won, uh, this was the first time the Bidens actually lived in Washington, D.C. Yes. Uh, How did she approach life in Washington? One of the first things that she did was she ended up getting a new teaching job. That's when she started teaching at uh, the local community college here, uh, Northern Virginia Community College. Um, And teaching, she often says that teaching isn't something she does. It's who she is. And I think through coming to Washington in this new role, um, she needed, She still needed the teaching to kind of ground her a little bit and center her. Was there any debate within the Obama administration and advisors about whether or not she should continue? There was a debate among some of her advisors. I don't know how much it carried over to the White House and, and like the presidential staff, but certainly some of the people around her thought the idea of her teaching was just crazy but she was insistent. She was insistent and determined to do it because it's um it's something she'd done her whole life. It was her career and it was also part of her identity. Next family crisis begins in 2010 with Beau Biden's stroke. Um, Can you talk about that period? It was five years before he passed away. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was the process like for the family dealing with his diagnosis, his treatment, and and how they really managed that personal aspect with all of their public responsibilities? Yeah, so that was um, a a difficult period also because I think for a while there – the doctors didn't really know what was what had caused caused the stroke to begin with, um, but it's one of those situations where the Biden family just kind of closes ranks and they support each other and um, come together and you know don't really talk about it a whole lot, which we saw later later in later years when when Beau was came down with cancer. He got better for a while, mm-hmm. and um, in fact, they began to talk about the possibility of his political career resurging, and um, then the cancer diagnosis came. came. She also had other family members who were dealing with cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the cancer initiative that they're involved in is a personal one for them. Can you, can you talk about, did you ask her about her dealing with all of these cancer diagnoses and, and her management of her personal life and, and professional life? Yeah, we did a little bit. Um, Bo's cancer diagnosis, her friends, she had several friends who were also diagnosed with breast cancer at one point in time. Um, I think a lot of people think that her cancer advocacy began with Boses diagnosis, but it began much earlier than that with her friends. She also had a sister who had um, uh, a cancer diagnosis and needed, I believe it was a bone marrow transplant at one point in her life. Um, and so all of that is kind of has kind of been poured into the cancer initiative that um, President Obama actually started toward the end of the Obama administration, put Joe Biden in charge of that when he was vice president. And just recently, President Biden resurrected the, it's called the Cancer Moonshot. And it's designed to pour money into research and development to end cancer as we know it. In that period of time when Bo seemed to be, Bo Biden seemed to be recovering, there was discussion once again about him entering the presidential foray. Yes, he was um, seen very much as the heir apparent to his father. And um, oftentimes you will hear President Biden talk about how much he wished that Bo was around. Bo was the one who should have been president, not him. So they were definitely looking at him. Uh, one day to go down the presidential track. In 2017, the Bidens became private citizens for the first time in their marriage, really. Um, What was the period of the Trump administration like for them as they returned to Delaware? Yeah, it was tough, probably, I would say, because she, uh, you know, she told us that she, um, every president... Makes changes to what the, their uh, predecessor has done while in office, but she just didn't expect the kind of wholesale uh, dismantling of much of the Obama Biden agenda that President Trump was uh, was undertaking, uh, and they were also alarmed. And President Biden has talked about this as a source, as an in, as an inspiration for his decision to run was the uh, the riot in Charlottesville, Virginia. In 2017, early in the Trump uh, in Trump's first year, um, they were just, I, I think, appalled is probably the best way to describe um, their reaction to that and to President Trump's um, handling of that that situation. So, over the course of the 30 years as we've been talking about it, Jill Biden's uh, interest in uh, him re- running for the presidency has waxed and waned mm-hmm. depending upon circumstance mm-hmm. where they are in. In politics and in their lives. So when 2020 was approaching, this is all very recent history, so everyone watching will have, have memories of it. But when, when 2020 was approaching, uh, was she all in this time? She, she was definitely all in this time. She really, really believed that he was the, uh, the man the moment called for. He was the only one who could um, bring the country together. And as we saw her talk about in that clip a few moments ago, that he could unite the country, unite red states, blue states, um, that kind of thing. A consistent theme for her throughout his various candidacies. Definitely. So it was a campaign that happened in the middle of the pandemic. How did she approach it? What was her job and responsibility during this campaign? She was out there uh, giving speeches, campaigning uh, with him as well as apart from him. uh, When the pandemic uh, struck and everything shut down, She did a lot of events on Zoom, over Zoom, the same way uh, President Biden did events over Zoom. Um, She was in it 100, maybe 150 percent this time. She really, really wanted him to win. And continued to teach throughout? She continued to teach up until a point when she did actually, for the first time, take a leave of absence from her teaching uh, so, sh- so she could be on the campaign full time. And I think um, just the mere fact that she did decide to take a leave of absence, just knowing how much teaching means to her, how much she loves it, uh, the fact that she took a leave of absence tells you how much she really believed in this particular campaign, in the 2020 campaign. So we've had an opportunity, and you more closely than most, to watch her as a first year and a half as First Lady. Um, you've had the experience of watching other First Ladies set up their staff, get started in their job. Mm-hmm. What can you share about how she has approached it? Yeah, she, I think, did it a little bit differently than most, lady, m- most First Ladies do. Um, she Of course, she'd been thinking about being First Lady off and on for several decades, and she's uh, worked with people over the years. So she came into the position knowing who she wanted to be, her chief of staff, who she wanted to be her advisor. She already had in her mind... um, basically set up her office and her operation. Um, Before she took office, she took steps to restart Joining Forces, for example, which is the military families initiative she worked on with the First Lady. Some other First Ladies come in and then kind of start to think about what they're going to work on. Jill already had a set um, list of issues that she'd been working on for a long time, and she knew she wanted to use the new platform that she had as First Lady to continue that work military families, education, cancer among them. So if you had to describe the kind of staff that she hires and the people that she surrounds herself with, what's has it been like? They have been uh, people who have been with her for a long time, 10 years or more. They're trusted, uh, close advisors um, that she has um, called back into service pretty much. And what's your observation been about how she's approached the job Uh, we famously the valentine's event on the lawn of the white house what what has been her um, what she brought to the position that you she 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 one thing that she says a lot is that she tries to find the joy in every day and i think um, with the hearts on the south lawn for valentine's day sorry the the north lawn for valentine's day um, that was an example of her trying to bring a little bit of joy an example of her trying to say to the country, I'm here for you, that kind of thing. Um, she is also very active. She, I think she will be considered probably one of the more active first ladies. Um, she's traveling quite a bit, uh, sometimes much more than the president. Um, so all of those things go into, into into her approach. We learned a few details about the first couple, and I'd, I'd love to have you describe what your observations been or what she told you about the relationship. For example, uh, mm-hmm. the fact that the two of them sleep in the same bedroom in the White House. <laughs> so when that phone call comes at 3 o'clock in the morning, it wakes up both of them. Yeah. That's unusual for first, uh, first couples to sleep in the same room in the White House? I don't think so. I think... Michelle Obama and Barack Obama shared a bedroom. I think the Bushes shared a bedroom. There were lots of stories that Melania Trump and Donald Trump did not share a bedroom. And uh, it's also described that Joe Biden doesn't like to be away from her for more than a couple of days. That's true. He's always wondering where she is. When is she coming home? Um, she is She is just central to to his... His being, his everyday, um, and he does get a little cranky when if she's gone for a couple days or more. As a matter of fact, um, um, it was sort of a similar situation with the Bushes. Whenever George W. Bush and Laura Bush were apart, he would also start to get itchy for Laura to be back home. They're yeah. very; he's very dependent on her. Famously, Harry Truman the same when Bess was away from the White House. And I guess if we're trying to learn about the the role of the First Lady and her contributions, I think, to the uh, the president's po- political success. How would you describe Jill Biden's? So far, I would describe it as successful. Um, first ladies are su- not supposed to do anything that will detract from what their husbands are trying to do. And so far, she has not done that. Everything she's done has been in service of the administration, um, going out and promoting his agenda. She spent a lot of time in that first year during the pandemic, when he was focused on the pandemic and vaccines and all of those things, uh, she spent a lot of time traveling the country trying to encourage people to go out and get their vaccinations, vaccinate their children, um, those kinds of things. She's been promoting the uh, American Rescue Plan uh, that he passed into law, and I think she's even done some events on the bipartisan infrastructure bill. So she is, um, she is one of the administration's top surrogates. We also, um, in our biography series on First Ladies, learned that some of are really deep political advisors for the president um, and very much involved off-camera, behind the scenes, um, discussing issues. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sense of how deeply involved in issues and advising him in that capacity she is? She got this question uh, not long ago and told the person who was uh, doing her interview that She kind of shied away from the label of being a political asset, political advisor type person and described their relationship as a marriage. But in all marriages, wives are telling husbands what to do or giving them uh, their opinions and advice. So you have to assume that he is getting some of that kind of advice and counsel from her, um, certainly on issues like education where she is an expert Um, but whether that translates into policy or what policy that's translated in, it's a little too early to, to know. We have about 10 minutes left. I want to talk to you about controversies because you have chapter in the book about it and learn a little bit more about her perspectives on this. Joe Biden and the Me Too movement perhaps encapsulated with uh, the Anita Hill hearings. Yeah. Um, there was that Period during the 2020 campaign, or I guess before he had gotten in, when he was accused of of, of being hands-on with with some women, um, and um, her response was that she she didn't really go into a lot of detail uh, talking about it. The few interviews that we saw her do, um, but she said that he'd learned from it, um, and she also talked about an experience that she said she had that was similar to what he was being accused of, but didn't go into great detail Um, and talked about how women back then didn't talk about it. But now women feel more open discussing those kinds of things. The Biden family finances. Uh, She was uh, very uh, um, modestly paid throughout her teaching career. Mm -hmm and uh, Joe Biden had Senator's salary for all those 30 years. Um, you even have a scene in the book where when, when uh, Beau Biden's cancer treatments became very expensive, President Obama offered to help because the family didn't have very much money. So my guess my question for people wondering, how did they go from th- those modest circumstances to buying almost a $3 million house mm-hmm. after they left the the uh, Washington? Book deals. Uh, she wrote a memoir in 2019 uh, he also wrote a book, uh, Promise Me Dad. It was about Bo and the, 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 the situation with Bo and his cancer diagnosis. And so they got a lot of money, uh, book advance money, and that's how they were able to improve their finances a big way. Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden appears, of course, throughout the book, including uh, many of the depictions of his struggles with drugs and alcohol, including one time where you say that she and the family staged an intervention. Mm-hmm. How does she talk about the investigations into Hunter Biden and the the struggles that he's had, which have been very public for the family? Yeah, she doesn't really talk about that um, at all in public. At least I haven't heard her speak about it yet. Um, There will come a point in time, perhaps, when that may change, especially if um, the Republican Party is successful in winning back control of the House in November. Um, They've already telegraphed that they will... Investigate Hunter Biden and his business dealings and the White House, the president and the first lady will have to respond in some fashion, but she has not talked about that publicly yet. There's also the a Department of Justice investigation going yeah. on, mm-hmm. which they have, I guess, not commented on no. at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Another new book out, This Shall Not Pass, has been making mm-hmm. a lot of uh, news in Washington. One of those was about Jill Biden and that um, she opposed the idea of picking Uh, senator harris as vice presidential running mate Um, i i wanted to play a clip of her talking about uh, about kamala harris because we haven't seen her in her current capacity Mm -hmm. and also for you to talk about what you learned in your reporting let's watch
1: as many of you know our vice president's historic path to the white house began before she could even walk marching with her parents in the civil rights movement, or at least being pushed in a stroller. (laughs) Since then, she has dedicated her life to pursuing justice and opportunity for all. She is a partner to Joe, especially on issues like voting rights, and is proud to be the first, but not the last. (laughs) Ladies... the president of the—the
0: uni- the vice president of the— <laughs> So what did you learn about her views of Senator Harris as a running mate? Yeah, so there was a, a, some hard feelings there, especially after the moment in one of the presidential debates where Senator Harris— uh, attacked uh, Joe Biden pretty strongly over the issue of busing. And uh, Jill did not take kindly to that and act, you know just didn't appreciate uh, Senator Harris uh, behaving that way toward the president. Senator Harris, you may recall, had worked with Bo Biden when they were both attorney generals in their respective states and had forged a friendship. And they had kind of seen Senator Harris as a somewhat of a friend of the family, so Jill was taken aback by that um, attack in the debate. Um, But politics is politics and a lot of those things often get swept under the rug and in the final analysis when Joe decided that uh, Senator Harris was the woman or the person that he wanted to join him on the ticket, you kind of um, make peace with all of that and, and go along. And what kind of relationship has she developed with the second gentleman? They have a great relationship. They both have teaching in common. Uh, They're they're both seconds, if you will. She had the role before he had it now. And um, she's helped him with some of his teaching at Georgetown Law School. She's helped him with some of the uh, duties that he is doing in his role as second gentleman. They've uh, gotten off to a good start. So in the about five minutes, we have left a couple of questions. You write that Jill Biden has evolved in major ways across her public and private lives. How so? One, I think, would just be the evolution that we've talked about here in terms of her role as a political spouse, from someone who married a guy who didn't know what he did, married a senator who didn't know what he did for a living and was told her life would never change To now becoming First Lady of the United States, someone who is seen as one of his greatest political assets, uh, someone who's traveling around the country, uh, giving speeches here and there. Uh, It's been it's been an evolution. Is it possible to say at a year and a half in what impact she will have on the history of First Ladies and their role? Well, I think definitely the, uh, the, the ability to, what she has done is made it e- easier for the next First Lady, as we talked about earlier, to, um, to keep a job outside of the White House if any of her successors decide they want to do that. She's kind of laid the groundwork for it. And um, it's, it, it may even now become expected that a First Lady will also work outside of the House, just like it was before where it was expected that they wouldn't. Now, maybe they will be. So just a couple of closing questions about you and this process. So you've been writing professionally for a number of decades now. You say in the book that you always thought about doing a book, but uh, <laughs> but th- this is obviously the first. What's it been like? It's been a very interesting process, um, and it's uh, it, it was pretty much what I thought it would be, just the amount of time that you have to uh, devote to it, the focus in order to get the the chapters written and the manuscript turned in on time. Um, I enjoyed uh, a lot of the interviews that we did with a lot of the people who know Jill from her uh, family to her friends to former colleagues and people who worked with her. What was your writing relationship like with Julie Pace, your co-author? Julie and I have a great relationship because uh, we worked together in the White House. We were both assigned to the Obama a White House back in 2009. So we have um, worked together for a long time, and so it was very easy to work with her on the book. We ch- you know, traded chapters back and forth, coordinated on our interviews. Um, and during this whole process, she was the Washington bureau chief for AP so she was in Washington when we started the process and by the end of the process she had become was promoted to the uh, the executive editor of AP and had moved on to New York so that presented a few uh, additional challenges but we we managed our viewers will see you in the White House briefing room raising your hand to take questions uh, or ask questions what's that process been like under this administration this uh, administration has uh, Restored a sense of tradition to the briefing room. Uh, the AP is once again called on first for the first question of the briefing. Um, and um, it's a little more orderly uh, than it used to be under the previous administration. Um, and, uh, you know, most of us get our, get our, get our questions in uh, and that kind of thing. So uh, last question. Have you heard from the White House about their reaction to your book? We have not heard any uh, formal reaction uh, to the book, so I n- no news is good news in our opinion. <laughs> well, thank you very much for spending an hour with us, the book. I guess I did have one question, Yeah. yeah which is the title, mm-hmm. uh, because you re- referenced earlier that Dr. Biden is how she most thinks of herself. It's mm-hmm. the most important role. Why did you decide on the name Jill, the title Jill for the book, perhaps as opposed to Dr. Biden? Yeah, so one thing uh, that the First Lady does, whenever she goes places, meets people for the first time, hospitals, schools, she walks in and she says, I'm Jill. She's told reporters to call her Jill and not First Lady. And um, since our book, the purpose of our book, or one of the things that we wanted to do with the book was introduce people to who the First Lady is, we thought since she introduces herself as Jill, Jill made a pretty decent title for the book. Darlene Superville of the Associated Press and biographer of Jill Biden, thanks for spending an hour with C-SPAN. Thank you, Susan. Thanks for listening to C-SPAN's Q&A. And subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. And while you're there, please take a minute to rate and review us. You can also send us an email about Q&A at podcasts at c-span.org. Send me your questions, your comments or ideas. Your feedback is welcome.